Am I on? Can you hear me? Excellent. Okay, good. Okay. It's so good to be here. I, I really feel at home here, so that's probably why I'm not as organized, organized as I should be. So I feel too comfortable. But um, in light of all that, um, the passage this morning is from Matthew chapter chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn there. And um, we'll read the passage, and um, we'll jump right in. Uh, read the passage, and I'll pray. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. And then the basic context is this, is that John the Baptist is already in prison. And if you know the story, and he was preaching out against sin, and in particular a sin that uh, King Herod was involved in, and and uh, he had him thrown in jail, and um, that's where he is now. John the Baptist is in jail, and um, death awaits him. It's a crummy place to be, for sure. So let's uh, see what happens here. We'll talk about it and see if we can relate it to our lives. That's always the challenge, isn't it? Reading God's Word and relating it to our lives. So here is uh, God's written Word. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the written word of God. Let's pray. Father, um, my prayer is this. Blaze a trail this morning, through your spirit. Lay the trail to the foot of the cross that we might stand there, look up into the face of Jesus and see the glory of you, Father. And, uh, and Father, as we consider our place now and what's going on in our lives, we turn to you, we turn to your Son by your spirit for life. And Father, we call upon your name to fill us, to fill this room, Make the truth come alive in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, the, this morning we're going to take a look uh, at an idea. It's, uh, the title of the sermon is Second Choice Life. Uh, and where that's coming from is from a book that's uh, over 10 years old. Uh, it's written by a guy named Viv Thomas. And, and the idea of behind the book is, is this, is that we all have in our minds how our life should go. Right, the things we should be achieving, could have achieved, should have achieved, the, the way our lives should go. And in that world where uh, we get to choose where our lives go, we, we, we choose our jobs. Right? We, we get to pick what we want to do. Uh, we get to uh, choose how our children turn out, if we have children. Uh, we get to choose our health, our neighborhoods, who our neighbors are and how they act and what they do. Uh, we get to choose our church and exactly the way we want it, uh, the kind of elders we want, the kind of sermons we want, short, right? <laughs> uh, the first choice world is a world where we get to choose at our own pace, uh, everything the way that we want it. Now, the real challenge is, is that we all live in our second choice life <laughs> because uh, things don't always go the way that we want them to um, as a result of many things. Uh, 
our first choices many times tend to go wrong. They don't, they don't turn out anywhere the way that we wanted them to. I think the biggest challenge for most of us, and myself included, is the way that we want things to go is just out of reach. It's just, just too far to go to get there. It's never going to happen. I mean, the kind of things that we want to see in our lives, our first choice, uh, just out of reach. So here we are. Uh, we are in our second choice life. Uh, and, and I think it's most evident that we're in our second choice life is when things go wrong uh, or they fall apart. And as a result of when things don't go the way we want them to, a couple of emotions can come up, at least. One of them is doubt. One of them is fear. And we're not going to look at both of them. Um, we'll look this morning at doubt. And doubt shows up certainly all the time. On a more comical level, I mean, doubt showed up for me like the tenth time that crayons ended up in the dryer. Right? When I was kids, you know, when, I, when our kids were little, and the crayons would end up in the dryer, and I would begin to doubt whether we should have had kids at all. You know? <laughs> like, good night. Whose idea was that? Um, and certainly, um, and, and the other thing my kids would do with crayons, they would write on my books without, you know, I'd open up a book and there'd be writing on it. And um, I, I took, uh, what I would do every once in a while, I would, uh, I, I come across them periodically now. I used to write the date when it happened and what I did, you know, like, you know, I banished them to the room or something. And now it's funny, then it wasn't, but um, <laughs> you just doubt, boy, should I have ever had kids? And that's, that's on that level. But, um, I think truly, though, there are times when I, when things can go wrong in my life or things can happen and you just doubt that God even loves me, uh, that he's even there. There can be those times, uh, I, I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but boy, sometimes wonder, where, does God even care? Uh, some of us, maybe even in the room, beginning to doubt, does God even exist because of the way things are going? We look at our lives, how we feel, what's happened, our age relative to where we thought we would be. There's all kinds of things. You know, our first choice life versus where we are, our second choice, can really cause us to, to doubt. And then maybe you're like me sometimes, that you may have zeroed in on a particular event in your past. It may have been a choice you made, something that you did, and you can trail it all the way back here, and you can say, I know now why I'm miserable, why I'm doubting, because of that choice. It could have been uh, your decision to take one job or another. It could have been your decision to whether to take school serious or not, whether to marry that person. And you can trace it all the way back to here and you go, yep, that's why right now I'm miserable and I'm doubting that God even loves me. We do go through uh, seasons of heavy doubt. That's one of the things that we have in common with other Christians. Oh, what we, as Christians, we, we can doubt. And I think we also have that in common with people who are not Christians. They don't even believe in God. They doubt. They can doubt whether their lives even matter. They can doubt whether anybody even cares because of the way things have gone. Because they have in their mind, too. We all have in our mind our way things should go. And the way that they actually are going, there's a big gap. And the bigger the gap, the deeper the doubt. Now, we can doubt when we realize we're really living in our second choice life. And um, one way to think about it is you've kind of settled for this life. Because you thought you were going to be here doing these things, and now you're here, and now you don't know what quite what to do. And you may even feel stuck. Have you ever just felt stuck? You don't know if it's ever going to change. You don't know if you're ever going to get out of this. 
but you just feel stuck. I, I began to sort of think, well, I have felt stuck many times. Even just recently, over the past couple of years, felt very stuck. Kind of wondered what I was doing and what's going on. I felt stuck. But I began to try to think, when did I really feel stuck? What would be an example? Well, here's an example. When I was six years old, I, um, we were living in Germany. My dad was over there for um, his job, and uh, we were living on like an army base there, and I um, had some friends. I'm six years old, and we were playing around, and we were living in these apartments, and it was the first level, uh, just sort of up, um, certain heights off the ground, and we had some high windows in the bathroom, and we had this idea, let's go jump out of that window. <laughs> All right, so we did. I uh, had two friends. They went first. They hung down from the windowsill and jumped. I jumped straight out. Landed in such a way I broke my left femur, the biggest bone in your body. So I don't, you know, if I break something, I'm going big, right? We're going <laughs> to, I break my femur. This is 1969. Uh, they, I think doctors then, you were, you were, they put you in traction. I was in traction for like six weeks, I think it was. And then after that time, they put you in a body cast from here down all the way to your leg and halfway down this leg. So I'm in a body cast for a number of weeks after that. And so I got to go home, and my life was, I went from the bedroom to the living room, so my dad every morning would move me because they, they had made a bar like across here. They had built it out of plaster, and he kind of grabbed me, and they walked me in the room, stuck me on the cot. I did that for a number of weeks. Um, and uh, back then, there was no television to watch because they didn't have like a satellite, and there was no American television. So you're six years old and no TV. I know. It's right, kids. You know? There's more of that fire and brimstone preaching, right? <laughs> It was pretty bad. Uh, that's what I did. And the thing that got to me really, too, was I could hear the kids outside playing in the afternoon. And probably some of the two kids that were with me that jumped out the window that I never saw again. I think I freaked them out. But I just felt stuck. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. I felt like life was passing me by. Um, so I get out of the cast. I get healed. I go through physical therapy. I'm good to go. And then I'm uh, on school grounds. I'm horsing around with my friends. I run out in the street and I get hit by a car. Same leg, same bone, same thing happened again. I have traction, body cast, cot, bed, life passing me by. All again, okay? So <laughs> that was a long time ago. But here's the thing. I blame the fact that I can't spell on that. I really, I'm a horrible speller, by the way. And so that happened like first and second grade. I missed a lot of school. And so I blame the fact that I can't spell on the fact that I broke my leg back then. See, there are things in our lives that we can point back to where you feel stuck and life's passing you by. You might even look back on that and you can say, that's why today I'm miserable. That's what happened. Well, we've got to figure out how to deal with that. Because I learned early that we, sometimes we just end up in our second choice life. I didn't want to be six years old. I didn't want to be in a cast. I didn't want any of that. But a lot of times we find ourselves stuck in a place we didn't plan for. Uh, and so we need to figure out really what to do. You know, how do we do this? How do we deal with those times in our lives uh, when um, we feel like life's passing us by? We feel like we're stuck where we are. We'll never get out of this. Maybe it's our age is starting to creep up and we're thinking, man, I don't have much time left. Uh, maybe it's you get sick and you don't know, well, what am I going to do? Because you begin to doubt, does God even care? I mean, if your life's passing you by and you feel stuck, you probably wonder, does God care? Does anybody care? So how do we deal with that? What do we do? 
here we go. In our story, uh, there is a person, a real person, John the Baptist, found himself stuck. Didn't break his leg, didn't jump out of a window, but he was in prison. He was stuck in prison. His life wasn't going anywhere the way he thought it could and should have gone. Let's read this. Let's go through the text again, and let's see if we can figure out what to do when we begin to doubt, when we begin to look at our lives and wonder, how did I get here? How am I ever going to get out of this? Does God love me? Does anybody even care? All right. Uh, it says in Matthew 11, verse 2, Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. I've said it already, but let me just reiterate. reiterate. He is imagining this is his second choice life. This is not how he thought things were going to go. He was there to herald the coming of the Messiah. He was making the way for the Messiah. And if you look at what he said earlier in Matthew, and I'm going to do that right now, Matthew 3, verse 11 and 12, you get an idea of what his expectations were for the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. He said this, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John was preaching that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come with blessing and judgment. Everything was going to be handled sort of in the same moment, in the same time span. He's going to bring blessing. He's going to gather his people. He's going to separate those that deserve to be separated. And he's going to pass judgment. And then we're moving forward. That was his expectation. That was the expectation of many at this time. Even just the disciples, that that was their expectation uh, for who Jesus was and what he was going to do. And so here here is John the Baptist thinking this is going to happen. And now he's in prison. Talk about doubt. Talk about wondering what is going on. This is, my, this is John's second choice life at best. It's not the way he thought it was going to go. Let's keep reading. And then he said to him, and he said to him, this is John's message, go to Jesus and ask him this. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John, he's puzzled. He is certainly puzzled. His first choice world is a world where Jesus out-Pharisees the Pharisees. Jesus is more religious than the most religious in the world. In fact, um, one of the things earlier in uh, Matthew, uh, John's disciples were asking Jesus, hey, wait a minute, look, uh, we fast. You, you and your disciples don't. Um, and in fact, uh, we, uh, you, you hang out with sinners. You're, uh, you, you drink with others and you hang out with sinners. We don't do that. And so I imagine John the Baptist is wondering, well, wait a minute. Um, how can this be? How can the Messiah not fast and not do all these things that we're expected, even the most religious in our culture do? Jesus doesn't even do them. And then also, uh, can you imagine how John the Baptist felt? He is the herald. He is paving the way for the coming of the Messiah. And he's rotting in a jail. He's got to begin to wonder, is his life even mattering? I mean, am I, was my life a waste of time? I can just imagine the doubt. And it shows up in his question. Are you the one or should we be looking for someone else? This is real doubt. His life isn't going any way that he thought it should go at that point. Now verse 4. And Jesus answered them. And this is the part that I want us all to listen to. Because hopefully you've sort of picked up on the fact that um, there's real doubt going on in John the Baptist's life. So here you and I are. Our lives may not have gone anywhere the way that we want them to go. Wonder, does God love us? 
Is there any purpose? Do I matter? Does anybody care? So let's find out what Jesus says. Go and tell John what you hear and see. Go and tell them what you hear and see. So we're going to look at that. And here's what his disciples hear and see. This is what you and I are to hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. So let's pick that apart. This is the message that Jesus gives to all of us who are doubting. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, deaf hear. Jesus has the power over a broken creation. He can, he can heal with a word. He can heal with a touch. Jesus is saying, I have all authority. I have all power. It resides in me. I can fix what's wrong with the world. And what's wrong with the world as a result of sin coming into it, people are blind, people are sick, people um, can't walk. Jesus says, that's under my control. I can fix it with a, a, a word. And then he says, now also look, the dead are raised. The other result of sin, among many, is the fact that we die. Jesus says, I have power over that. I can raise the dead. There are numerous examples you could look at in the Gospels. He's saying, look at the power that's in me. I have it. All authority is mine, as he says later in the Great Commission. And then he says, the poor have good news preached to them. Let's keep in mind who the poor were, who the poor even are now. Let's think about that. The, the poor in this culture were a forgotten group of people. In fact, um, one commentary I read through that the accepted value of, at the time was that the poor didn't matter. And when Jesus says the poor matter, he is reversing culture. He's reversing the thought of the day. He's saying, no, look, the, poor, the people who don't matter matter to me. The whole spectrum of people matter to me. Everyone matters to me. And that's what Jesus says. John, look at that. Look how I'm radically going against culture. Look how all power resides in me. Look at that and think on that. That's my answer to you, John. Now, think about how we feel in a culture where um, everything about our culture tells us what matters. And it usually is this. Everything can be boiled down to this. That if you achieve, you matter. If you don't achieve, you don't matter. That's how our culture works. You achieve, you matter. You don't achieve, you don't matter. And it, it, that's the way it was 2,000 years ago. It's the way it is now. That's the way it's going to be 2,000 years from now. Jesus doesn't return in that time. And so, Jesus, I think, is describing if you, uh, a situation that we, or at least this is pointing to a situation where if you've ever felt stuck where you are, this is the message for you. Let's read on. And then this is the last thing he says. And, the ble and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Another way to say that is, happy are those that are not scandalized by what I'm doing. Because uh, what Jesus is doing is healing, and, and he's going against the grain of the culture. He's pushing back. He's a rebel, but he's, he's ushering in the kingdom. And he says, blessed, the happy are you if you're not scandalized by what I'm doing. I think another way of saying this, this is how I really had to think on this. Like, why did Jesus tell John that? He's doubting. He's, he's scared. He's, he's in a place he thought he wasn't going to be. The end is going to be horrible. His, his death is coming. He's wondering, am I gonna, anything I've ever done, has it amounted to anything? And then Jesus says, happy are you if you're not scandalized by what I'm doing. I guess another way of saying is this, that 
don't be tripped up. Don't be scandalized by your preconceived idea of how things should go. See, that's our problem. I have a preconceived idea. I have the first choice world, how my life should go. That's, that's a thing. That's my script. The reality is like way down here. And it's a second choice. It's my second choice at best, the way things typically go. And Jesus is saying, don't be tripped up by your preconceived idea of how, your, how you think your life should go. One other thing about all that was going on in John's life and in Jesus' life, all the good things that Jesus pointed to, all the healing, all the people being raised from the dead, the good news being preached to the poor, all those good things were happening in an environment where a lot of bad things were happening, just like today. The good things that are happening in this church and in the community are surrounded by horrible and difficult things that are going on. Even in the time of Jesus, every word he was saying that we read now and we, we eat up like, like true bread and true drink were being said in a culture where there were in, in a place, in a situation where there were lots of conflict. People were trying to kill Jesus. Jesus was constantly having to bolt out of a crowd to, to hide, to get away from people that wanted to kill him until his time was up and ready. And so there was conflict, there was misunderstandings, there were all kinds of things that were hard and difficult, and good things were happening. And see, my tendency is to look at all the bad things that are happening and forget that God loves me, and he is working out his will in our lives and in the world. And then, see, it's the same situation, same thing that you and I experience even now. And so all the blessings that were happening were happening in a second-choice world, if you just think about it that way. Now, one last little thing before we sort of tie all this together and, and finish here. Um, there's something that's missing from the text. One thing that we, you know, we never find out is how John reacted when the disciples came with that message. When they said, well, here's what Jesus said. You know, people are healed, raised from the dead, and the good news is preached to the poor. And blessed are you if you're not scandalized by what's happening. We, didn't, we don't get his reaction. We don't, go, we don't see him go, huh. Yeah, well, okay. We, don't have, we have no reaction. We don't know how John thought about this. In God's providence, I think that's good for us because what the, re, the real reaction here, the important reaction, is how we react to this. Because it leaves it blank. Because this is an answer for you and me. When we doubt, this is what we're supposed to hear. God, do you love me? How come my life is like this? Why did this thing happen? How come my kids did this? Why did my spouse leave? Why did this happen? How come the marriage didn't last? Or how come it's so different? What is going on? You don't love me. No one cares. All those things that go in our head, this is the message that Jesus gives us. It's the one we want to hear now. So let's go over it and think about it again. He says, in a nutshell, we can say it this way, blessed is the one who, when you're stuck, Stuck in the body cast of your second choice life. Blessed is the one who doesn't doubt and doesn't let doubt lead you to long for that first choice life. Blessed are you if you don't doubt. Okay, that's the kind of the message. That's the message Jesus is giving. And he also, it's this. Blessed is the one who believes that Jesus is the Messiah who is indeed rescuing the world. Because what did Jesus, what's the message he gave John? Go tell John, I'm healing people, I'm making things right, I'm raising people from the dead. Uh, 
Good news is being preached everywhere and to everyone, to the poor in particular. When we doubt, we're to remember what Jesus has done. That's what we're to think through. What has he done? What is he doing? We're to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, rescuing the world and making you and everything else right, even when what is happening seems to contradict all that. All the things around us, there's still crud going on. There's still things that are causing me to doubt. But we're to believe. We're to believe. Even when you can't spell. Even when you know exactly what event changed your life and set it on course to the way it's going right now. Blessed is the one who doesn't doubt. That's the message that Jesus gives us. That's the message that Jesus leaves us with. Because we don't know how John reacts. We have to react to that. Blessed are you when you don't doubt. Blessed are you that believe. Well, I can't leave you there. How, how do we not doubt? What do we do? How do we not doubt? The answer is this. It's grace. The answer is grace. The answer is the truth, truth of God's mercy. It's the gospel. Jesus says, remember what I did. Let's look at the last part of verse 5, where he says, and the poor have good news preached to them. Who, in a nutshell, I mean, if you just think, well, who are the poor? There's a lot of answers to that. Here's one answer. The poor are those who really know that this isn't their first choice life. I mean, they get it. They know. They feel the weight. You feel the weight of the deficiency of what you need and, and, and how far it is to get it. You feel it. Everyone else in their first choice life doesn't feel the need. They probably think, maybe I'm the one that got me there. I'm the one that's blessing myself. The, peop- the poor are those that understand their need. They get it. And that's who Jesus preaches to. Think about it. You came to Jesus, if that is indeed true, because you saw your need for him. We see Jesus through the eye of need. People in their second choice life, people that feel the weight of how it's not gone the way you want, you see your need for Jesus. And that's what he's saying. And here's a quote from the book, uh, the Second Choice Life book. Second choice worlds expose us, but if we let them do so, they expose us before God. We remain wounded, tender, and in need. Just the sort of people who are ready to witness to God's grace in our second choice world. Um, The most caring, (laughs) the most aware of other people's needs and you think about it, it's probably true in your life, is when you're going through something. You just feel it. You feel how, how, how lost and stuck you feel and things aren't going the way you want them or you're sick, you're lying flat on your back somehow. That's when you're the most aware of need because you get it and you feel it. I think that's what it does for us. That Jesus has us in those places where it's hard and we wonder and we have to believe and by faith, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Right? Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's the place we want to be. That's the place that God puts us. He puts us in that place where we have to remember the truth. And we think on the truth. And this is part of the truth. Because the key question, I think, at the very... If you looked at the... If you see, here's John's question. Go ask Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we be looking for someone else? What he's really asking him, and what we ask God, too, when we doubt, is, are you there, and do you really even care about me? Are you there, and do you really care? And Jesus says the same thing he says to John. Look at what I've done. 
And at that time, John didn't even have the cross to look at. And now that's where you and I go. See, if you're doubting, and if you just feel the weight of how life just seems to be passing you by, and everybody else is outside playing, everybody else outside has their, the life that they want it, and you're just wondering, does anybody care? Are you there, God? Do you love me? Jesus says the same thing to us. Go to me and look at my face. Go to see what I've done. And so we go to the cross. And there at the cross, there can be no doubt that he cares. He cares enough to give up everything. The relationship with the Father, broken for us, so that we would never have a broken relationship with the Father. He suffered the pain deserved us. He suffered the, the uh, wrath of the Father deserved us. He suffered it for us. That's how much he cares. He did that for you and for me. And then the thing is, when he rose from the dead, it tells us that our suffering, our difficulty, that what we're experiencing has an expiration date. The best is yet to come. The new heavens and new earth will be greater than anything you think you're missing. You think, you say, here's my first choice world, my first choice life. New heavens and new earth, better than that. Better than you ever imagined. And so when God calls you to that low place where you're experiencing your second choice life, whatever it is, do you care? Look at the face of Jesus. Will it get better? Yes. That's his message. That's what he tells us. In fact, Matthew 19 says, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, everyone who has left houses, listen to this, everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, sounds really harsh, right? But it's saying, listen, if you've given up your first choice world where all your relationships go well, all the things you own, all the stuff you have, if you give that up, and go into that world that God's called you to, for his name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first, many who have their first choice in the world, will be last. And the last first. That's the gospel. That's the truth. You and I, when we see our need for Jesus, we see our need for Jesus, that's when he shows us himself. Here's the thing. We won't always know the reason why, but there is hope. The life Jesus lived that you couldn't live and the death he died that you deserve, the resurrection of Jesus, that's our strength. That's our strength in our second choice world. And it is the promise that we will get a world even better than our first choice world, a more glorious first choice world. You're not stuck. You matter. There is hope. That's the gospel. That's the message we need to hear over and over and over. Amen? Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you Thank you that we didn't hear how John responded because it's really our response to that truth. You truly have and are making things better. You're the one fixing it. You're, you, we see it. You heal the sick. Uh, you raise the dead. The truth is given to us. Those that are spiritually poor, those that are lost, those that, are, that are, have been marginalized in a world that says, you matter if you achieve. We know that you, we matter to you because we look at you on the cross and we know you love us. You came for us. That's the truth 
and it only gets better. And so now is for a time. Our, uh, the current, what we experience now, our momentary troubles, our achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen, amen, and amen. Please stand, and we have one more song to sing, and then we'll have a benediction.